1: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey folks, Kaiser here. We've got a new initiative at SubChina that I want to tell you about because I suspect many of our listeners are just the sort of people we want to get involved. And it's a chance for you China nerds to parlay your arcane knowledge into a little income. We've launched a consulting and expertise marketplace called SubChina Direct. The goal is to connect the best China-focused talent with the companies and organizations who need support for their China-related projects and initiatives. Think of us as the Airbnb of highly qualified, deeply experienced China professionals. We've already built out a pretty decent network, a couple of hundred independent consultants and boutique consulting firms. We're really looking for people who know healthcare consumer and retail, macroeconomics, and, of course, technology. And if your business is looking for experts in those or pretty much any other fields, for anything from market entry to due diligence to digital marketing to supply chain sourcing, just get in touch. So whether you're a subject area specialist who wants to pitch new clients, or if you're looking for just the right specialist yourself, go to www.subchina.direct and sign up today. Now on with the show. Welcome to the Cynical Podcast, the weekly discussion of current affairs in China, produced in partnership with SubChina. SubChina is simply the best way to keep on top of all the important news coming out of China. Our indispensable daily newsletter features a roundup of the news from hundreds of sources, plus links to our original writing on the website. Sign up for sub-China access, and you get all that and much more with stories on everything from the Belt and Road to local entrepreneurship and innovation in China, from the latest on the trade war to the ongoing extra-legal internment of hundreds of thousands or, by some estimates, well over a million Uyghurs and other Muslims in China's Xinjiang region. We're sure you'll agree that it's a feast of business, political, and cultural news about a nation that is reshaping the world. I am Kaiser Guo. I'm coming to you today from Washington, D.C., Thirty years ago to this day, June sixth, nineteen 1989, I was actually riding on a train between the city of Baicheng, which is in western Jilin on the inner Mongolia border, and the city of Chichihar in Heilongjiang province. I was uh, with my friends Ding Wu and Zhang Ju, and my good friend Drew Sabo, who had been playing with all through college in a band. Uh, We were the first incarnation of the Tong dynasty, and uh, had for the past few weeks divided our time between writing and rehearsing new material for a movie we were supposed to be cast in, and of course, spending time on Tiananmen Guangchang, in Tiananmen Square, where the, the demonstrations were underway. We left Beijing on the morning of the 3rd of June, maybe about 14 hours before the first shooting started, and it wasn't until we arrived in the city of qiqihar in Heilongjiang province on the morning of June 7th that we actually knew that the stalemate that we had witnessed, with we, we had seen people out uh, near where the, the the third ring road is today, west of the Shangri-La Hotel, lying out in front of columns of APCs, with the troops still looking very unsure of themselves, and we thought that it was a stalemate. So I was really shocked when, on the morning of the seventh, we arrived in Chichihar and found out that there had been horrendous violence. So, uh, my guest today is someone I saw speaking in Tiananmen on a couple of occasions in May of 1989. I didn't know his name then, but I came to know who he was, along with much of the rest of the world, when he first took part in the televised student dialogue with Premier Li Peng. His name is Urkesh but he's better known as ur Uh He was, of course, one of the founders of the Beijing Students Autonomous Federation. He was one of the instigators of the Tiananmen demonstrations. Uh, he helped to start that while well, he was a student at Beijing Normal University, a mere 21 years old. And he became, of course, one of the best-known student leaders of the Tiananmen protests of 89. And of course, his student group was at the very core of that. We are delighted that by chance I was in D.C. Uh, when you were also in town for the We Uyghur we con- Congress that's going on right now, right? Uh, so I'm very excited to talk to you, especially so close to the 30th anniversary of the June 4th massacre uh, at a time when another issue, which is also close to your heart, the mass detention of Uyghurs in Xinjiang is also on the minds of many people. So thank you for for coming.
2: Thank you, Kaiser. Uh, I finally, uh, yeah, I'm looking for, I have been looking forward to have an opportunity to talk, to talk on your podcast <laughs> you and, and to meet you too. And uh, uh, yeah, I appreciate every possible channels to voice our, you know. Uh, ideas. Well, that's and, great. I'm glad we could do this. And thank you. Thank you. Me.
1: Also joining us is my very good friend, Nuri Turkal who's been on the show a couple of times in the last year. Uh, I was having lunch with Nuri today when he mentioned that I was in town. Uh, he reached out about a possible interview and now here we are. So Nuri, I, I asked you to join uh, so that the two of you can talk about the situation in Xinjiang, of course, but I also hope uh, that you're going to chime in and kind of act as a co-host here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm ask questions about work guys. I see in his life. Uh, uh, it's absolutely fascinating.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Um, let me note that about 30 minutes before we started recording, I asked Twitter for some questions. Uh, I got some really good ones. I'm going to try to include some of those. So, but let me, let me start off with, to work I see here. What personally were your aims when you started off in the days just after Hu Bang's death on April 15th? What, what did you hope to accomplish?
2: The whole eighties, the you know, if you remember, China is in the direction of opening up and reform, and that's what we really wanted. Mm-hmm. But the atmosphere in the campuses in you know, in Beijing at that time was uh, somewhat in 1989 was some was uh, low, a despair, cynical. That's because. Uh, throughout 80s, every oh, every single year, in the matter of fact, we, there were student demonstrations. We call it "xuechao" student wave, mm-hmm. student movement wave, student wave. That's, student wave, yeah, sure. That's like the transliteration, and then uh, all the student waves are, are aimed to do one thing: to express our dissatisfaction of the speed or uh, of the, of the reform. Uh, or also like the conservatism of the communist party that it wouldn't it wouldn't bring the reform into the political arena uh, political domain so uh, uh, i think 198 uh, let's also uh, rewind a little bit to ni- at the end of 1986 uh, at the beginning of 1987 the, the mass student demonstration it, before 1989 sure. that one was one of the biggest yeah uh, uh, of the student waves uh, uh, that not n- just in Beijing in Shanghai uh, as well it started from Anhui in the Anhui, matter of fact right, and the then Hefei, yeah. came uh, back to uh, Beijing immediately Anhui being the uh, city of a uh, Chinese technology university mm-hmm. uh, where Fang Li just served as the vice president of the uh, of the university
1: the astrophysicist uh, to yes. some people call China Sakharov,
2: right true and then but also he is more i think his astrophysicist claim is in his field but to, uh, to us, to the students, to the Chinese intelligentsia in the whole 80s, he is like one of the uh, founding uh, fathers for Chinese democratization initiations. Right. Like he in, he called for, he's the one who said, you know, we, we need to import, we need to bring in Western technologies and investment, but we desperately need to bring in a new premier, which means we need, Western political system we need like uh, ideas of uh, democracy basically right. so that uh, movement was suppressed and that movement uh, the suppression of that wave uh, have leaded to the cynicism the, the depression in, uh, in uh, uh, 1989 campuses around the country uh, so when it was ha- actually after those demonstrations that, that Hu was sacked he was exactly.
1: removed as general exactly,
2: secretary exactly right. so Hu uh, General Secretary uh, of the Chinese Communist Party, who have been believed uh, for a long time is a sympathizer of the uh, call for political reform uh he, 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 he a lot of people at the well 80s is a is a time of a hopeful time in china we have our despair we also have our hope and then hu Yaobang is kind of a person that gives us that hope mm-hmm. whereas other there are uh, there are other camps there are other peoples like hu chaomu if, yeah, if you remember or Chien, or, right. yeah those people that represent the opposite so uh, uh, when Huo uh, Bong died, uh, the atmosphere—it's it, it, his death. It's a—it's a—it's a, you know spark drop into a, a gunpowder cake. So you can—it's uh, a very long answer to your short question. What were we aiming? You can—it's a consistent thing. So you were
1: aiming just for a commitment for deepening reforms, basically.
2: Based on yes yes uh, if i if I have to answer the question in one sentence that yeah. is that one question, but also it's first of all the express of that despair the the anger all these things come in probably first before we can really think about, okay, now we have expressed our anger, uh, but what do we really want? That question probably came in. A couple of days
0: later.
1: Ah, I see. Nuri, you were still in high school in '88, right? No, 89. I actually
0: I was. Uh, I just started college. Uh, okay, so you were in Xi'an, yeah. right? Uh, I was in Ürümqi, uh, oh, taking Urimji. my college prep courses, ah, uh, studying Chinese every day. Uh, this this period is very interesting and important period that Urkesh uh, uh, was alluding earlier. In the earlys and 90s, uh, to the Uyghur people and other ethnic minorities. Were kind of uh, period that, the, that their cultural uh, rights were respected, uh, social rights were respected, even though there was some level of uh, political repression was uh, widespread. But uh, the Uyghurs experienced a cultural revival period, and that followed the Tiananmen Square pre-democracy movement. And the guy who's leading the movement happened to be one of the Uyghurs. So there was a, a public support. The hmm. university students pour into the streets of, of Rumqi. You didn't uh, really
1: experience then a whole lot of racism then from your Han
0: compatriots? Not during that period. Um, so so if somebody asks, is there any period that the Chinese government can go back to that they should look at that period and study? There was no single violence incident. Um, people relatively happy and enjoying their daily life. So... We, uh, we we I, As a first year college student, I learned about um, the movement in Beijing. I went to the uh, People's Square in Rumji, joined the protest.
2: Yes, fifty days of the Beijing student demonstration are the fifty days that, in my well, twenty-one year of uh, life at that time, that I did not feel discrimination. <laughs> I was born and raised in Beijing, and the discrimination is almost, you know, I was, like, almost immune to that. But, of course, uh, growing up, and then I realized what I was immune and then probably neglected was discrimination. I mean, that will make you feel uncomfortable. Like, uh, And then Chinese, I think, in general, also including today's, like, vibrant democracy, democratic Taiwan, they have this problem of understanding what is discrimination. Right. And then they think they don't have bad intention, but they just classify you as a different category. Right. That to most Chinese people is not discrimination. But then, uh, if you look into the uh, textbook and then to realize what is the uh, discrimination is, you think other there's another group of people that's different politically. Then that is discrimination. But
1: discrimination against Uyghurs in 1980s Be- oh, Beijing that I remember was was vicious i mean there was it was it was a a real sense that i mean i they treated them very much like the europeans often treat the roma they were considered (laughs) sort of this sort of genetically criminal class you were not you you, they were the people who would 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 you know carry knives yeah you you uh, you, need to
2: know okay Uyghur people are the descendant of conqueror and warriors sure at the same time were a descendant of merchants along the silk road these two things that you described, like uh uh, yeah, we were people carry knives, and we and we also saw you this, we, you we know, we kind of resort to, <laughs> to 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 uh, yes, okay. To when when we feel like uh, okay, discriminated, we don't just uh, you know just just take it in. Sometimes right. we we you tend to at, right? yes, and then also we were a group of first group of people when Deng Xiaoping started this open and reform policy and said let the little group first a small group of people get rich. And the Uyghur people say, "Oh, is that That's right? <laughs> we can do that." So uh, the the group of pe- uh, Uyghur people, the uh, these <laughs> this descendant of merchant who have never left the, this this area of Xinjiang for one thousand years, when Deng Xiaoping says, "Now you can do business," they found themselves in Guangdong, mm. in 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 in, and Central in Guangzhou. Yes, they are like uh, bring. They're they become the first group of uh, people who import uh, importers, or right. well, sometimes those import are perhaps not one hundred percent, you know, uh, law abiding. But then you know that was the time. That was the time. Like, and then you can see Uyghur merchant everywhere. They're they're selling merchants uh, uh, from uh you don't know how to get into the uh, Chinese market and then also of course you see the uh, uh kebab sellers and uh, that's an, a different level of a uh, merchant but they spread to all all different countries well, all mean? different all different uh, cities and there's another one is uh you know foreign exchange right we run the underground market uh, uh, of financial market for for a good period of time yeah i guess that has got into some people's nerves and say all of a sudden you know the Uyghur people. You are kind of cool. You dance. You sing. You 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 have you make good shish kebab. Why don't you just stay in your remote corner? And why do you like all over the sudden spread all over to all, all the cities? And then the the that kind of triggered the discrimination sense, uh, mentality or, or or sensation. Let me put it that way. Then uh, of the one billion Chinese people, I think. That, I think uh, people listening to this would would have a better, uh, you know, uh, uh, reference. If you haven't seen a group of people and all of a sudden they are... Everywhere. Everywhere, and then you just don't get used to it, the uh, discrimination emerge immediately. Right. So did you grow up in, like,
1: in, in Ganjiakou or, or in Hepingli. No, no, in no, no. He was, Oh, in he Yeah, oh, oh. I was
2: born and raised in Beijing in Hepingli area. Hepingli is. Uh,
1: yeah, I know Hepingli well. I mean, that's where all the Guo Tuans were and all that.
2: Yes, and then also the so called Central uh, Minority Publishing House. Ah,
1: I see. So that was your, your parents' work for exactly. the Central Minority yes, Publishing yes, House. Yes, I see. Okay. Mm
2: mm-hmm. Minzu Trubanshe. Minzu Trubanshe. Minzu Trubanshe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So that that was actually a question that that came in from Saul Thomas on, on Twitter. He wanted to know because there were discussions in a book that Drew Gladney wrote about Muslims in in uh in in, in China. So that there we was wondering whether there were Uyghur led protests in Beijing in the 1980s. Uh, besides
2: yours,
0: yes, uh, no, no, <laughs>
2: thank you. Uh, yes, there were uh, uh, there were a, a few demonstrations that's like not necessarily Uyghurs but Muslim, uh-huh. uh, uh, but on the issue of uh, a treatment to Muslims uh, or or discrimination wordings against uh, Islamic faith uh, uh, followers. So yes, so it, it's a it's a specific theme. Uh, protest. And then I think they uh, even applied for a permit. And then so it was one of the legal uh, uh, demonstrations that took place during the 80s. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. So let's get back to the, the 1989 demonstrations. Uh, f- when you started marching the streets, you you really cloaked yourselves in the sort of banner of of, of patriotism. Uh, it was You were calling for a deepening of commitment to reforms. But a lot of things changed. There was a, a major inflection point that a lot of people have talked about, which was the publication on April 26th, of the People's yeah. Daily editorial, which labeled you uh, in un-
2: unrest, which would say that you were a rebel at right? yeah. Yes. Uh, patriotism was the word, it's more like a it's so handy we just decide to pick it up right uh, because it's always in the education uh, you know uh, textbook and everything we we were brought up in in china but well, you, were, you were you were safe look i mean you knew yeah, that yeah. look huabang died and they're not going to crack down on you if you're celebrating
1: the death of somebody who even though he's no longer general secretary he's still on the politburo standing committee so he still has to have a state funeral He so wasn't you, a standing safe. committee member but he poly, was he was po- a standing politburo he was a standing committee member still
2: Uh, Okay. He was. Yeah. But uh, pretty soon we changed uh, the tone from the patriotic movement into democracy movement. Right. In 1989, uh, we were imitating Poland. Mm. That's like a very Mm. important reference that uh, the world should know. Uh, uh, What happened in 1989, few things like, first of all, solidarity movement in Poland. And then we saw it came up came along like uh, right. step by step and very inspiring. The other thing is uh, the new thinking and that's introduced by Mikhail Gorbachev Ger- in the Soviet, uh, Soviet Union. It's quite an exciting idea and it certainly excited whole country. Soviet Union, I mean. Uh, so um, we, we used the word patriotism, but actually at that time we were not under uh, any attack from a foreign aggression, right? So, so uh, the transliteration of the word patriotism in back into Chinese is aiguozhu yi, right? It's love a, of country, love of country. Yes. So, a uh, love of country is something we just claim, and then we say, you know, we we, we are doing this in the love of our country. Uh, we are doing. We are pushing China toward democracy. In the love of our country, and then uh, uh, the the word "love of country" so coincident with uh, patriotism, we just picked it up. We I just see. used it, but for not for a long time though. Pretty soon we decided
1: to start talking about democracy.
2: Naturally, merging to call, calling ourselves a democracy movement, and uh, and the uh, people who supported us also demanded us to uh, add. Uh, the slogan of anti-corruption. So,
1: yeah, that's interesting. So that did not come indigenously from the students themselves? No, no, no. So who were these people then who were supporting you? Are talking about leading intellectuals? Uh,
2: uh, The intellectuals came into the scene a little later. It was just students at the beginning. We were looking for uh, guidance. We were looking for our teachers to come in, but uh, not until, I think... uh, Quite a you know a week later, maybe ten days later, Liu Xiaobo flew back from uh, United States to Beijing to join this movement. He found me uh, the night he arrived in Beijing. Uh, we were looking for, and then of course Liu Xiaobo carries a very special. Uh, meaning to all the students at that time, right. he was also one of the, the the spiritual mentor for the whole 80s generation. So yes, we welcomed him. But in the very beginning, until until Liu Xiaobo showed up, until later on, the movement was very much a, a student-led indigenous. So movement. So then,
1: who was it pushing this idea of including corruption in your agenda?
2: No, no, we took a, quite a few uh, march already. Right. So on the street, people would just you know people express. They would People would express their support, but they also would ask, you know, you guys should, you guys should uh, I- uh, include this anti-corruption. You guys should include this anti Guandao uh, official. How to translate that? Guandao. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't know. How to, yeah. how to. So uh, on the probably uh, it was the 18th or the 19th of April, uh, the the first major march from the campuses down to the square went right by where I lived at the time, which was in Xisi. I went out to the Hutong口, the to the, mm-hmm. the mouth of the Hutong, which is on xisi bei dai as they're coming down towards Xidan, and they were going to cut over on changan on And they mm-hmm. marched right past me, and there were several schools represented, and I, I watched this happen. And they all carried... A, a, a twine, that kind of pink-colored plastic twine you use to wrap packages in the, the old, you know, stores that you'd buy things in in China. And uh, so it was circling the, the parade route. They, people on the edges of the parade would carry this. We were holding up and they were excluding deliberately people. I said, could I join the march? No, they said no. I said, well, I, I'm, I just recently graduated from university. No, they said no. This is only students, only from these schools. Yeah. When When did you... Decide to
2: open it up to include other segments of society. Uh, not too long, because well, uh, the biggest, uh, the first uh, intercity uh, demonstration uh, was uh, took place on the night of uh, April twenty-first, and before that there were demonstrations, but from like uh, different universities mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. was uh, segmented, but. N- n- April twenty first is a, is a very important day of the student movement. In that day, we got organized. We got like the whole school inter school Beijing coalition for the uh, students union was formed. Right, I was one. I was the founder of this, this thing. I led that the uh, uh, the first uh, inter city uh, major demonstration. At that time, we were still. Uh, uh, pretty much uh, insisting that this should remain as a pure student movement. The reason for that is like we were uh, so nervous. We were so worried that the Chinese government is going to slander, uh, as they usually always do when there is a student movement, when there is a, a very pure a motivated movement. They will always say there is a small group of criminal who actually behind the scene, right. who get involved into the a uh, uh, crowd and then lead the crowd into vandalism or this and that. That's that's uh, the Chinese government's like typical uh, propaganda line. So we were trying to avoid that. We we were naive, of course. We were saying we thought if we hold a string to to exclude other people who wants to join us, we can prevent Chinese government from doing just that. <laughs> they will do that anyway, you know. But then, uh, right after you were you were also mentioning uh, April twenty sixth editorial right. by People's Daily. We, they, uh, I think what happened is I'm convinced of that that the April 21st major demonstration uh, went in the evening. Uh, we went to Tiananmen Square. We occupied Tiananmen Square. We have uh, successfully demonstrated this um, enormous power and then our ability to get organized. And that spooked them. Exactly. That's Very the right much. word. Yeah, and then Deng Xiaoping was so spooked and he says, uh, I don't mind killing them. I don't mind killing the students. I I learned much later on that mm-hmm. he said it in such early stage, uh, but I, it's so totally convincing because if you read the April twenty sixth editorial, and you find with between the line, the tone of the, the editorial is very much in killing sensation. So, so yes, uh, yeah, but then we decided Yeah, right? yeah, we decided to. Uh, we decided <laughs> to. Um, uh, responded with a bigger, stronger uh, rebuke. So we had this twenty seven April twenty-seventh major demonstration. One of the best, most powerful, most well organized, most attended a uh, demonstration of the nineteen eighty nine student movement. This
1: this is exactly what my timeline has has always been. That there was the twenty first 21st- uh, organized march really spooked them. I was there for yeah, that. Yeah. Then on twenty uh, seventh, you know, but Zhao Ziyang left China. He went to North Korea on yeah. the twenty fourth or the twenty fifth. Something he like that. He was gone during that. Those it must been kind the of crucial meetings. Yeah. Terrible timing.
2: Terrible timing yeah. for him. The Communist 20... Party are incapable of changing, making a last minute change. That's, right. That's, they're not
1: flexible in that. They're way. no. Right, they're right.
2: not. So the t- April twenty seventh demonstration, we uh, took the Beijing Ring Road uh uh the movement the, the dem- i was the general commander of that uh, of that demonstration i remember students come from uh far like say tsinghua university or mm-hmm. beijing university they they are in the outskirts m- much further away from the center right where my university uh, beijing normal university is pretty much in the center of, of the city right up between uh, second ring and third ring right, right. so uh, university students from uh, from the uh uh, you know, university uh, district will come into my school first, and then we march out from there. The uh, students from Beijing from Beida, from Tsinghua, they have to get up like six o'clock or seven o'clock. They start to march out of their school. We, in the leisure, that we march out on the nine uh, nine <laughs> o'clock, and then we came back with a uh,
1: circle the ring road. Right, the second ring at the, the time. second ring, yes. So it was like, you know, uh, Xizhemen, yes, yes. Fuchengmen, and... We and circled that Fu-xing-men, we came yeah.
2: home. Uh, I remember it was around 10 p.m. to Beijing Normal University, and then the Beijing University students have to take another two, three hours back to theirs. What I was trying to say is that when we took the ring road, I mean, 100,000 students took the ring road, uh, the, it's a long, long line of students. Uh, what's more exciting is the people standing by on the two side of the ring road that's Beijingers. Their support is the one who gave us. All the confidence—it has to be half a million people uh, there yeah, that yeah, day. Yeah, was.
1: I was. I watched that. That yeah. was. I was on the west side.
2: From that uh, day on, we would never exclude anyone who wants to I join see. us.
1: So it really was the, the 27th March. That, that I would, was the, the I would, In my recollection, yes. That's 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 fascinating. Absolutely fascinating.
0: Let me, let me ask you this question: Do you, um, when the Uyghurs took to the streets to uh, support the students? Uh, they did it back in from nineteen eighty nine. Yes, in Urumqi. Urumqi yeah. yeah, I was. I I I, th- I had the um, privilege to be part of that. So the thinking is that when if this is successful, we have a be- we will have a better life. Yes. So with that mindset, did you guys ever talk about the future political system for China uh, in with respect to how? non-Han Chinese minority people would be treated or fit in the system.
2: We did talk about it, discuss among the students, but then the real immediate aim for the students, the slogan we put forward is dialogue. So, you know, if the dialogue occurs, subjects of the dialogue would definitely include like uh, ethnic issues, issues, uh, um, but then let uh, the 1989 student movement is to, uh, is to first bring the government, not bring them down, but bring them lower to the level they have to sit equal with us. And then dialogue also means we want to have something to say, we want our voice to be heard we want to take part in so uh, uh, if that happens and then uh, and then uh, the more specific aim of the 1989 student movement is to preserve the uh, autonomous students uh, 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 the federation of autonomous student unions as a legal entity mm. to make that the the uh, the
1: official representative of the student interest, right?
2: In- not the st- special students, but more of a political independent force. We want the student uh, the federation to become uh, China's solidarity. So that's the idea. We want that to to act before a a real opposition or political party to emerge we want this uh, federation to act just uh, at that role i
1: see so to uh, assume the same role
2: that 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 dock workers in the exactly, exactly. had had but had, had. then solidarity re- really later on become a political party right at the beginning it was just a worker union so we thought okay we're students union can also play a similar role. And then one day, there will be political parties, uh, uh, and then, but we want to be the one to make that
1: happen. Uh, I mean, I think we were, there were some precursors for this already. You could sort of see on April 12th, there was that, that petition that Wang Dan actually signed that, yeah. saying we want uh, a special democratic zone in Hai Dianchu, right? Yeah. Uh, well, that. so
2: the 1989 student movement is definitely a democracy movement. We have... <clears throat> This political uh, 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 goal, very clear goal in our mind. We mm-hmm. want to, and then the, the the slogan we put forward, including you know uh, freedom of expression, uh, uh, freedom of press, and freedom of assembly. These are very political goals, but we were also thinking on the strategy level that okay, let's just demand for dialogue, and then. Because if that dialogue ever occurs, this is going to set a new page right. for Chinese life. That people will start to have a say, and then with that di- dialogue happening, it will uh, consequently uh, uh, preserve the Federation of uh, Beijing Autonomous Student Union as a legal entity to to survive. I see, and then it will, uh, it will, uh, it will basically. Give birth to Chinese multi-party system.
1: I'm curious whether you were conscious at all of the potency of the w- sort of symbolic weaponry that you guys had at your disposal. I mean, there is a a long history, a very proud history of student participation in intellectual political life uh, that, that goes back to the Xinhua Yundong and even before. It goes back to 1898. It goes back to 1895, mm-hmm. really. Uh, and there, there. Were, there's sort of a way to do it. There's a theater uh, that you were performing that you did very well, I, I would say, that, that the students knew that that would target the heartstrings of ordinary Beijingers who knew their history. You had also available to you things like the, a whole a bunch of nice round anniversary dates that you could – play on you had were you we, aware of the potency of
2: this we we are aware uh but you know it wasn't planned we didn't plan hoyobang's uh, death of no course. no of
1: course not right but then, you were already preparing for a big may 4th demonstration
2: not before hoyobang's death
1: i i heard i've i've read many places that there probably, was probably
2: but place. then the, those plans were like uh in a very very seeding er- 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 see. er- period but uh, uh, uh phases and uh, uh, we, but of course, when the movement started, uh, we we did manage to organize a few very successful demonstrations already, especially after April seventh's major success. We were looking one week away from the 70th anniversary of May, May 4th's movement. Yeah. And then we, not just the, the Chinese government take a, uh, you know, propaganda to, to, really legitimized the 1919's May Force movement as one of the uh, pioneer movement for Chinese modernization. You were going to contest that. We, the students, uh, we, the students, especially, again, taking the same steps on the same street in Beijing. And then also, uh, 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 May Force movement, uh, uh, in, in May Force movement, Beijing Normal University, Beijing University were all major players. Right. So, we have this strong sensation of we are the true legacy of May Force movement. Right. At that time, we all felt very strongly. We we still felt With like, good reason. I oh, guess, I guess. Yeah. No. I, guess. And and then, I mean, of course. You... And then uh, for, to have a major demonstration to commemorate, to celebrate May Force spirit seems to be, you know— Natural. Natural. It wasn't even a, a debate, but it's That's of right. course going to happen. Right. So uh, whatever happened before May 4th, uh, on that day, we will take the street. And then we did. And then in a well, uh, little different from the uh, April 27th march, we decided to go to Tiananmen. The April 27th, we avoided Tiananmen. We took the ring road. Uh, but uh, uh, in, on the May 4th. Uh, we made a left turn in the Xi Dan, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> where where then you know the, that that uh, lead to the Eternal Peace Avenue, Chang'anjie, uh, Later on, became a killing field. But that um, but
1: that demonstration, we had a million people
2: in the square. I don't know how many people, but what my uh, count is at least half a million because. Yeah.
1: I mean, it was full. The square was full. Then it has to be one million. Yeah, that was, I was there on the, the May 4th. I and walked then I gave around a it. speech. It was, yeah, I saw you give a speech. I gave a speech to a million people, and then I guess. Let me let me ask you something about it, because sitting here and talking to you, it's pretty obvious to me uh, where sort of the sources of your charisma are. You have you a have, um, how young I were you? Don't know, when, know that. <laughs> when, you, when you were young, did you know that you were destined for to, to, to do this? Were you a revolutionary at heart? Were you somebody who had uh, leadership aspirations? Were you somebody who was an organizer among the kids in your neighborhood, uh, in your own family? What were you like when you were when you were young?
2: You know, Kaiser. Yes, uh, but before the anniversary, somebody else also asked me similar questions, and then I, to be very honest with you, I I got a little like. Puzzled with this question because then I realized all these questions are in a relative term. You know, are you are you uh, a are you a revolutionary in compare with other people? There's there's this yeah, relativity. There's, there's there.
1: a type though, there's a type. And Neo, you know it that, that you are. I myself
2: wouldn't know right. what my type was at that time. I was just I did the thing that I feel natural to. Okay.
0: This is this is one of the questions that I always get. He was 20 20 21 year old young student and he is a minority living in beijing growing up and then uh the whenever i mentioned that i have a close friendship with Workeshi, Warkesh, like do you know how did he what was the process like him becoming a leader of this movement like especially the young kids today uh grow up in the western societies wanted to be like him and find out was he prepared for this? Is that because of the family uh, background? Is that because of the education? Because of his his, because his, of his street being creed, an
1: outsider. But, but, uh,
0: because of
2: all how, of the was above. What was the process
0: like that you? No, my
2: my parents. No, the way my parents... I'm sure the way my parents brought me up has something to do with it has to be it's not like okay we're not going to prepare you as a revolutionary when you're 21 it's not like that it's like you have to stand up when someone else is getting bullied you have to take it as yourself being bullied you have to stand up for other people things like this you don't find in chinese han chinese education in in a matter of fact i realized. Uh, I I'm <laughs> not maybe
1: that but you find it in the in the novels. You know, the heroes are always yi yong wei, the, the, yeah. you know you read a or you read you know Sangway. There are heroes like that. Yeah, so, but then who, but your
2: parents oh. don't teach you to follow Mine those <laughs> night stories. The night stories is for uh, is for uh, teenager rebellious time period, basically. Both <laughs> school and and home education in Chinese society. Do not teach you things like that. Then, you know, but my parents, we, in our, in our culture, it's natural. So what happened, I think, I think, in the April 17th, uh, when, the, when the night nobody else took the stage, uh, in in the campus of Beijing University, somebody put a poster in uh, Beijing Normal University. Said let's have a gathering tonight, nine o'clock, and I showed up at around ten thirty. But you know, people were there waiting for someone to 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 uh, step up, but nobody did. It just. And everybody in the crowd was cursing, basically. You know, you can not imagine for twenty-one-year-old college students what they can curse. You know, oh, or yeah. what kind of like? <laughs> yes, we can imagine. Oh, imagine that! <laughs> but then I'm in the crowd. I was, you know, I want to curse too. I want to say you, blah, blah blah blah. But then, and then I realized that if I do that, I'm cursing myself. And in my, in our culture, the way I was brought up. Including the, you know, what I'm saying, my culture, my parents' educate, and everything else that has accumulated all oh, its way till that day. That I, I just feel in that moment uh, that uh, I this need is to, my moment. I need, I need to do that. Yeah, I have to do that. It's not like oh, I have been waiting. No, it's like it's the it's an instinctual thing. You just have to do it. You can remember that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I and because imagine. that moment, I it I, I, I reflect life. back, in that moment changed my life. Yeah, <laughs> from wow. that moment on, I just you know, I, I remember in the crowd because there's no no light. There's I mean there's street light, but there's there's no like a light for the for the gathering. There's no loudspeakers, and then just a, a, about a thousand students in Beijing Normal University gather around this uh, monument. Uh, uh, also a monument to commemorate a, a student movement, uh, 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 decades ago. And then they're shouting and again, they're cursing. And, and I remember I just couldn't, uh, stand it. And somebody needs to, somebody needs to be there. Okay. It may as well just be me. So, and then I, uh, I, I remember I yelled, Rang Kai yield
1: yeah rangkai means get out of the way right oh yo yeah let me give buy. me way yeah, yeah. <laughs> make way
2: immediately a pass was in uh, was in, was formed was emerged between me and that's the stage it wasn't really a stage it's the base of the monument when i say rangkai... Uh, people like, like get apart and like like uh, you know. <laughs> okay.
1: Now I look at you and, and I can I imagine that. I mean, now you <laughs> I mean, you're, 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 you're like, uh, you know like you you've got like what, what did Jason call it? dad strength? You've
0: would got, you like, do it again? In light of all the sacrifice you made, you have not seen your parents thirty years. I heard that the last time that you saw your mother was during Tiananmen Square Pro Democracy Movement in Beijing.
2: Okay, would I do it again? I, if you ask me, do I feel, do I regret what I did? The answer is no. I mean, I don't regret that. I can answer without any hesitation, but would I do it again? I have to say, I don't know. I would you do it differently? Uh, I'm sure if there's a, you know... Uh, well, you now no, okay. you know a lot Without of Without knowing the, the ad, there is no time machine, right? Of course No, no, not, we're right. talking about... So if you put yourself... If you know, you cannot avoid it, but you, you are going sending back to fine-tune here and there, maybe. But I would say 1989 student movement was a pretty damn good, well-organized student movement. Yeah. And then all the... Uh, All the decisions we made was uh, uh, were very cautious and very well deliberated. And then, well, I mean, you've come in for a lot of
1: criticism, even from fairly moderate people, for uh, the way you conducted the 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 dialogue that you finally ended up getting with Premier Li Peng. Is there anything you would
2: change about that? No. Uh, First of all, uh, the meet. my role at that time dictated me to do to say those things. To be was, the,
1: the 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 bad cop, or to be the heavy, or to to be the. Uh, the, the I was the, first the of all, we were
2: quite polite. We were firm on mm-hmm. our ground, but we were quite polite. So uh, we weren't like trying to uh, uh, provoke or anything. But then we were the representative of hunger strikers in the room. Finally, because of this hunger strike. Because thousands of students hunger, uh, had hunger strike, and uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, yes, more than hundreds, if not millions of people uh, uh, who supported this student movement, we wouldn't have that meeting. So my role, being in that room, is not just being me. I was the, stud- I was the representative of people's will at that time. I have no choice but to stand firm for people.
1: But you know the things that you did like scolding them for being late or uh that's because
2: Li Pong came in and first sentence he started and says I'm sorry I'm late for 20 minutes right. because you have made Beijing a, a such a chaos it become a, an anarchy and it's, 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 you know he was a, it wasn't a sure, dialogue a we were waiting for a dialogue mm-hmm. but it was a condescending lecturing and then that we thousands of students hunger strikers and the uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of people uh who, who took the street at that time cannot tolerate and then I am just expressing that voice.
1: So you were actually in hospital the night of June 3rd so you, you missed out on, on a thing but would you if would do you think that you lost control that, that the autonomous union lost control of the movement in any way? Do you feel like that you know if you had I know I've heard this from a lot of people who, who took part in it, who said, for example, the Beijing students, if the Beijing students had been there to call the shots, if they had if everyone had left, as they did on the night of the third, they could have gone home and pocketed a lot of gains. They, 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 they would have thought that there would still be a possibility that Zhao wouldn't have
2: lost his position as secretary general. and that. Well, all these arguments are based on one fact that they know what happened later.
1: Right, and you didn't know, you couldn't Yeah, the
2: decision we made at that time, the debate we had, stay or leave, there are different factors that are contributing to different decisions, but none of those decisions were being informed that they're going to be a massacre a couple of days later. So uh, the, uh, the criticism, I understand, and when people lost... When people see massacres in in their TV sets in their living rooms, they the ache in their heart must be unbearable. Yeah, I I, I mean I I wasn't I was on the I was in Beijing, so I wouldn't. But after my exile in the first few years, when people talk to me about that time, I can still feel their ache in their heart. So they that that ache they need some kind of let out Mm -hmm. and then they were hoping the biggest let out would be the best let out would be you know uh, uh, the collapse of the Chinese communist regime that would be the best and then they were hoping uh, so they were looking for all kind of excuses why didn't you leave earlier why couldn't you do this why didn't you do that and it's 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 understandable sensation when you when the whole world were in some kind of shock a traumatic experience when the government, when a one of when governments start to kill their young, peaceful protesters, they basically uh, gave a whole world a traumatic experience. Let's talk about now your
1: years in exile. You uh, so you you managed to leave China after 1989. You were put on this most wanted list by I think June 7th or so, and uh, I don't know how much you want to go into the details of how you managed to leave, but you you found your way to Paris.
2: Well, first of all, not CIA. <laughs> okay, some people say okay. that, and then also, uh, some. Uh, uh, I managed to get to Hong Kong at that time. Hong Kong was one one city that gave us the most support. I, I would even say, nineteen eighty nine student movement took place in Beijing as the main stage, but Hong Kong is definitely a, one of the most important stage too. There were student demonstration in Shanghai and other city, but Hong Kong is. Hong Kong is very much in it. Mm-hmm. They they just don't live under communist regime, uh, Chinese ruling at that time. Uh, the uh, stu- uh, the alliance was formed, alliance to support Beijing Patriotic Student Movement, blah, the very long name. But when I finally managed to leave Beijing, get to the border city, I managed to contact them. Then they send in people to uh, got me out. So you're easily
1: uh, one of the most recognizable of the of the protesters of the student leaders. yeah for sure. yeah yeah, so been, whenever been I go, uh,
2: it wasn't easy, but amazingly, yes, wherever I go, I got recognized, so right. it make it kind of more difficult. The uh, live broadcast of my meeting with Li Peng made that happen right and then the the more uh, down sauce I go to my, uh, where when I reach uh, you know Hong Kong. Uh, information uh, disseminated in from Hong Kong to the southern cities also have a lot of my picture on it right. so uh, uh, so I got the, I got recognized all the time but then whenever I got recognized pe- those who did recognize me always give me always provided uh, shelter or provided uh, help mm. and uh, so uh, with the help of Hong Kong people and Chinese people i managed to escape another thing is like <laughs> the british have left some good things for hong kong but they also left one pretty bad uh, uh, tabloid culture <laughs> so one of the uh, one of the tabloids in 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 a, in a, in a in hong kong uh, said like uh, i managed to get to the south of china because my father was a general who can mobilize a air force and uh, uh, a airplane air force plane and the, who that that I ride all the way from Lanzhou <laughs> to South. I mean, you can't. Which Im- part of that
1: isn't true? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, okay, for well, the there. Okay, which part of that isn't true? Okay, let's focus on one thing. Imagine an Uyghur become a, uh, become a, general, a right. general who can mobilize an airplane. Right, that course. part, he is, is like one of the most. Stretched uh, imagination that I have to applause to that person, whoever that is, wrote that wrote up this report in, <laughs> in 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 the office of this tabloid magazine. Yeah, that's
1: hysterical. Oh my god. Um, years next. So you you were in Paris for a couple of years. You made your way to California. Um, you were there. I know that Nuri, you you actually have talked about how. Uh, Ourkesh helped you in your early career. Yeah, uh, we, really. we, we, we had, had
0: mutual them. friends yeah. uh, back home, and that's how we got to know each other. So I uh, moved to California from where I was studying up in Northwest, and we were roommates for a period of time. And uh, that was most that was, as I recall, is the most difficult time that I had in my early uh, period in the United States. So. Uh, my good friend helped me to find job, even uh, asked one of his friends to loan me a car so I can work and make some money and get my own car. So we, um, as a friend, um, he provided me much-needed um, support uh, in yeah, addition to true to friendship.
2: It's
0: nice to talk about, you know.
1: Our... The diaspora community comes in for a lot of criticism, and, you know, it's, it's not surprising that— uh, there's a lot diaspora of diaspora society, diaspora, what? especially Uyghur. the dissidents and oh, dissident the dissidents. Society, I yeah. mean, not 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 the diaspora Uyghur okay. community, but uh, the Ch- Chinese dissidents. The, after after Liu Su, si, uh, there was, I mean, immediately they started falling to to fighting. Uh, almost right away, uh, there were gigantic divisions and cleavages, and I, I saw this happening with sort of a, you know a, in horror, hmm. even just on the. I was on the campus of the University of Arizona. Uh, and finally, Drew was there. Actually, you know, in the building right yeah. next to me, and we we used to see each other all the time. And we talked, and um, it was quite oh. clear there were factions of students that were very opposed to him. There were factions of, it was just crazy. Uh,
2: I guess, uh, but then it's, you know, we are a group of dissidents who are forced into exile and then carry the responsibility of the whole world in overthrowing. The one of the most powerful totalitarian regime. That's the, the pretext of all the criticism and what ha- what went on uh, among the dissident societies. Uh, we carried, well, the whole world were in shock and we, we, were been, we have been given a responsibility. There's no way we can carry. We could not, uh, you know, we challenged and then we lost that challenge in Beijing, how could we possibly organize to overthrow that government who already opened their, uh, its fire to us uh, from Paris? That's
1: uh, that's that's understandable. But what about uh, what, what caused the disunity, though?
2: That's what I'm saying. You know, there well, is no battlefield. If there is no battlefield... They'll automatically turn on one another? No, there's actually... We don't know which direction to turn on to begin with. I see.
1: That's fair enough, yeah. So these days, how much of your attention are you focusing on the crisis in Xinjiang? Uh, when, uh,
2: these days, these days, well, uh, well, I think I'm paying more and more attention f- to spending it. Spending of my attention is always there. That's not sure. the right word. But. Spending more and more of my energy and time on the issue uh, from the uh, July 5th uh, uh, incident in 2009, 2009. Nine. yes. It's today. I was in this Uyghur conference, and then uh, my friends introduced me. This is Urkesh. His better known, his his name Urkesh is known to all Uyghurs, and his Chinese name Urkesh, is known to all Chinese. It's a good introduction. But then I also used that uh, in the past and say, you know, I'm probably uh, to do to discuss my role uh, with my Uyghur friends. I say, you know, I can probably do more for Uyghur. As work, I see them as Urkesh. Mm-hmm. and then uh, in the Uyghur movement, um, uh, there are you know a lot of distinguished fellows. Uh, they are they are making their efforts, and then they have always been uh, Uyghur's Uyghur movement, and they should you know carry the flag. Nuri here is one of the uh, uh, one of the uh, you know pioneer one of the champion. Yes, and then I on the other hand have always been a Chinese democracy activist. Uh, I started from Tiananmen Square and then all these years in exile. Being and then I, I believe that Chinese democracy is the ultimate answer for Uyghur people in future. But of course, the, the history can evolve in different direction. But I believe democracy should be the answer for Uyghur people. And then it's good in the Chinese democracy movement to have a Uyghur in there. Yes. And you, you, then, could, you could but, but you then in the, the last wish. ten yeah. years since two thousand nine, um just I have this personal you know feeling urge to, to to get more directly involved. So I well my direct involvement is more just like writing articles and talking about discuss when when the when I'm with Chinese dissidents a group when when I'm with the uh you know, uh, oversee democracy movement. I often insist on discussing about Uy- uh, Uyghurs, Tibet, you know, ethnic issues, and then I often lead that discussion. So uh, in, in that sense, I'm I'm still in Chinese democracy movement, and then having my fight for Uyghur.
1: And how is that going? How, how how is the response among Chinese democracy Han Chinese democracy activists? Are they making common cause? Do they sympathize deeply Most with the movement? Pl-
2: okay, okay. Let's say uh, first of all, Chinese democracy movement, overseas Chinese democracy movement, is not a huge body of uh, of uh, people. Let's say there are five hundred. Let's five hundred people. Sure. Uh, 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 I mean, it's not really. I'm let's just for the conversation's sake, if there are five hundred people ch- oversee Chinese democracy movement, I think a good half of them will be one hundred percent supporting of the Uyghur cause and then totally understanding for Uyghurs and Tibetans mm-hmm. uh, a demand for independence. That word is the most uh, you know, sure, of right. the of this debate, right? So let's not uh, go around that. Uh, uh, and then I discussed this topic with my Uyghur friend and my Chinese friend. When I discussed this topic with my Uyghur friend, I, I started to say I'm not a nationalist. I am not a separatist. I'm a democracy activist. I'm a libertarian. Because of that, today I would 100% support any effort to fight for democracy and independence. Uh, because... Independence will guarantee, if we can manage to get independence today from communist China, it's definitely beneficial for Uyghur people's liberty. I'm a, I'm a libertarian, so that, that dictate my decision, my choices. But when I talk to, uh, uh, so, so, uh, so I will say that, but then I'll also say I'm not a, a separatist. I discussed this with my Uyghur friend. I'm I not said, sure what the distinction is. If okay, you support if you're independence,
1: sep- but you're not a separatist. I you-
2: welcome independence because I am a libertarian. I see. So the ultimate goal so far, of me, of, of, of my effort is freedom. Liberty, right. It's freedom. But uh, uh, if you are if you claim yourself a separatist, that means you will fight for independence at all costs and at, in all conditions.
1: So that means that y- Even if you were if you would support, for example, if, a radical yeah. Islamic sect that would lead... That a, or a rel-
2: another dictator, military dictator who right. can... those That kind of independence, I'm not in. I see. Yeah. So, But when I talk to my Chi- fellow Chinese dissidents, my tongue is like, okay, you guys totally need to know Uyghur people have the right to fight for their independence. If we call ourselves democracy activists, we should 100% uncondition- unconditionally welcome the major principle of democracy, which is self-determination. So uh, so I, I, I think I am in a good position to talk to both Uyghur, my fellow Uyghurs and my fellow Chinese democracy activist groups.
0: One common question that uh, people always ask, um, uh, why the governments are not taking action and, and one of the main reasons one of people, the which governments. Well, uh, like co- governments Muslim are. governments Western governments uh, other than the United States uh, the the one possible answer is that the Uyghurs are not well known and then the, the follow up question is like okay no, if, we we had, well if we had a figures like Urkesh Tevlet. Leading the movement in the last twenty some years, we would have been in a different place. We would have, we would have been able to build grassroots movements. People like I mean, people have been saying this. What is your thoughts on that? Do you think that, that is, that is just you would have been much more effective? That if is you just on
2: all, all that not true. My role in the Uyghur movement will not be much different from our beloved Erkin Esar Erkin Pandey. You know he couldn't. The Uyghur, uh, there is a an, a, a we, The Uyghur movement has always had leaders. Mm-hmm. We we had you know the leaders beloved by Uyghur people, and then uh, we 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 would have follow follow his uh, uh, her uh, you know uh, leadership, but to have the the very fact Uyghur movement is not. But they are not a celebrity as you are though. That's a different story. Well, Rabia Kadir was a celebrity. Exactly. Yeah. Rabia is a celebrity and This the was
0: like the 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 point no, is the, that No, I'm this saying started that is in the oh, 90s, I, I in know, 2000... I, under,
2: I understand the argument. Yeah, before Rabia Kadir But was I disagree really with it. Yeah. The the re, the real reason Uyghur people Uyghur movement has not been in the map there are many many factors to contribute to that. Number 1, unfortunately, Uyghur people are in Islamic faith let's 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 uh, look at this uh, with with all honesty. Sure. Today's world, Islamophobia. Uh, today's world are not that honest. Today's world is not that uh, not not that courageous. Uh, we don't live in a perfect world, and then the Western world just you know uh, so they you find you find uh, much more convenient to neglect Uyghur Uyghur's movement. They have. For a long time, when Chinese regime uh, calling their, uh, their policy in Xinjiang uh, part of the anti-terrorism, uh, the, the suppression of the Chinese government to Uyghur people have been going on for how long? We'll say easily decades, right? Mm-hmm. Only in the last two years, when it come to this level, that the world can no longer, that's the key word, no longer turn their blind eyes. Well, they're still trying. So they but, acquiesced in this
1: idea. But that, what that I'm saying is the, the world was tried atheist. really
2: hard to turn a blind eye in in a long time. Even if there were a celebrity leader, and how about Tibetan? They have a very well-known celebrity leader, right? And you think, look at that. Where where did the Tibetan movement go? They, You know, it's famous. It's a famous movement. But Tibetan people today, under the same kind of suppression that we do, Yeah, they did didn't you, manage to, Tibetans didn't manage to gain any inch of independence.
0: Did you expect at all that it will get this bad in China for the Uyghur people? Did you ever th- thought that we will see this modern modern day concentration camp situation?
2: I have to admit our naivete 30 years ago as a student in Beijing, perhaps stayed in us until very recent days no after we...
1: what about after July 5th did you start to think you know this is going to get much worse now
2: yes 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 um, it was still a Communist Party Chinese regime uh, can seems to manage to be always be able to surprise us no matter how much we think they are capable of doing they can always surprise us with more this is the government uh, this is the uh, is the regime the world is facing so uh, let me also take this opportunity to, to to extend it to the next sentence if the world sank you know this, the chinese regime oh okay they are they can capable of massacre their peaceful demonstrators 30 years ago they can suppress their dissent in China they can do this do that and then they can uh, are capable of, uh, uh, of gathering over a million people in concentration camp and then if we say today they can probably launch a, another campaign against the whole world and then the world probably need to shake off that naivete we had and then start to uh, exercise <laughs> its imagination
1: well, my imagination doesn't quite stretch that far at this point yet, but uh, it it certainly has been tested recently by some of the horrors that we've we witnessed. Why has President Trump stayed silent so far? We've heard remarks now from Pompeo, from Mike Pence, from uh, others in the administration. I don't think he got it. Yeah,
2: I don't. I mean, look at the the. I mean he he got something. He's a businessman, right? He saw a, a, an image like. Okay, I of I talk I talk about this. Let me on your show and name name and talk about this again. The China policy, over complementing China policy, started from Dr. Henry Kissinger. He went to Beijing in the early seventies and he basically architected this whole China policy. And then he repeatedly insists that's because that's the the China policy was for America's national interest. And uh Of course. I mean, good thing he cleared that out. I mean, there is no moral foundation for being nice to a a government uh, uh, that, you know, a totalitarian regime. But that national interest has long expired. The national interest is forming an alliance, form a united front together with China against the the Soviet Union during the Cold War era. And then, you know, Cold War ended and the gov- Chinese government become the government who suppresses, who massacres peaceful demonstrators. Did that China policy then alter? No. It continued until today. And then the wo- they, they, they decide to find new names. They call it engagement. I mm-hmm. call it appeasement. And let me see this. Let me say this. Dr. Henry Kissinger himself became a the most welcome guest by Beijing. He brokering american companies to go to china to do business with favored excess and for each company he broke rich, he gets a minimum of one million dollar fee dr harry kissinger he i mean he lives 90 some years almost 100 <gasps> years now i think I, 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 he, I
1: can't attest the veracity of, of how much he's he, paid for the deal he for sure. is
2: fabulously rich what's wrong with this picture is there anything wrong of this picture? I mean, if I I want to ask American people to say, you know, hey, uh, this key architect of this policy is becoming very rich for from one of one of the party that he he brokered. I think you know the businessman president, being a businessman himself, saw something wrong. But he is a businessman. That means he, if he come up with a new policy, it will also be interest centric. And then the real lesson is not that policy was wrong, we need to adopt a new one. The real lesson here should be interest-centric policy is wrong. It should be value-centric policy. And the United States, if today form a, a value-centric uh, uh, China policy, its ally will have to follow. And today, against China, if United States does not have its ally uh, gathered to support to to stand behind us it won't pull out china is way too too strong and then it's a little too late
0: what is your sense after being um, uh, after testifying in congress early this week and uh, attending a series of meetings with legislators and thought leaders and activists what what do you think um is the a possibility, or do you think mm-hmm. that the U.S. government and U.S. Congress will address China democracy uh, and, and interment so. of Uyghurs differently? I hope so. As after all those events and public statement, you were pretty provocative during your uh, testimony. <laughs> you uh, you call uh, you called out the U.S. government yeah. for betraying the students
2: and democracy. Most yeah, important,
0: and, and it was pretty pretty strong. And I didn't. I, I watched the whole thing. None of the members of Congress presiding in the hearing were annoyed with your statement.
2: I think, yeah, thank you for saying, I mean, I think the sentiment in the Congress or in Washington, D.C. is very much in unity, but for them to take a step and acknowledge to say, wow, we did. We made such a big mistake, we were so embarrassed, now we have to do something drastic to change. Um, it, ta- it probably take a little more than wisdom. It will take uh, humility. It will take like uh, 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 it will take a, a much more healthier attitude, and it will take courage. Those things I'm not sure. It's, what, kind it's, of,
0: it's, what kind of what uh, kind of change do you foresee? Is that like a more of a anti-China? Uh,
2: no, no, not anti-China. Anti-Chinese uh, 200 family treat the 200 families as criminal groups. And I, I, I also said in the, in the hearing, uh, the United States will be much better off cons- uh, when forming the new China policy to consult criminologists rather than consult international relation experts. <laughs> because if you treat Chinese regime as what they really are, a group of criminals, and then they are certainly not ideology. They are not communists. They are not nationalists. Calling them calling them fascist is even giving them too much credit. They are a group of bandit who stole okay, okay. the position of uh, ruling. I, I think that, that you can now today, uh, you know, in,
1: in light of, of yeah. things like the Uyghur atrocity, you know, to to make these sorts of sweeping moral indictments about the Chinese Communist Party is a little easier than it would have been, say. 12 years it ago it wasn't
2: just an indictment it was a uh, it was a policy suggestion
1: okay uh, but but you know it's built on on sort of a a, a set of moral fact. simple fact well uh, okay
0: <laughs>
1: it's Your built facts. on simple no, fact, fact. <laughs> Not my past but uh, Anyway, I want to ask you a little bit about your your time in
2: Taiwan uh, mm-hmm. because you know you've been there now for for my gosh since uh, the late twenty three years
1: twenty three years
2: longer than any other country that I have lived, in, including my home country. My God,
1: uh, you've gotten quite involved in politics in Taiwan. Um, my understanding is that you do you support the Pan Greens, right?
2: No, no, no that's, that's not, not uh, true. that's not a correct statement. Okay, these days we'll I clarify. work closely with Penn Green because they are the one group don't doesn't mind talking about Beijing talking about Communist Party. Uh, when when I first arrived in, in Taiwan uh was nineteen ninety. I have I, I didn't move to Taiwan back then, but that was my first visit. It was the it was the blue camp who with this uh uh you know greater China sentiment who who welcomed me much more. Where at that time the Green camp is more like a Taiwan independence, China is China, we don't care, mm-hmm. that kind of idea. But o- over the 29 years since 1990, I think the Pan Green has come to the point that they realize they are not just Taiwan independence party, they are democracy progressive party, that's that's the name of the right. party. So the democratic value is something that will lead this party and their supporters to a long, long run in in, in this country, but uh, where the the the, the pen blue uh, very very unfortunately took a very wrong turn. Um, uh, back in the early nineties, uh, there were like a greater China sentiment. They but they are also in a anti communist uh, right. uh, uh, stage, and they somehow they they feel like the democracy is not. Their vocabulary is not there because they were authoritarian regime and then uh, Green Camp was the challenger and then uh, has become the political vocabulary of the Green Camp. And And it was
1: visited on, it was forced on. on I I really
2: hoped that Blue Camp can also embrace to say, you know what, we are democratic too and because they really are. In the in the democratic system, it's a democratic party, and then they welcome democracy too. So when, but do, they when just, do you they mark
1: don't... this 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 shift beginning when they st- stopped caring so much about uh, the Greater China issues and became um, sort of throwing themselves <laughs> their, their fate in with the Chinese Communist Party? You think this was uh, obviously not in the '96 crisis. It was much later. Ma Yingjou's, uh tenure tenure was it?
2: Before, even before that, I think, uh, mind you, he himself is a little different from the rest of his party. Sure. He uh, believed in, you know, he was a sympathizer of the Chinese democracy movement. Yes. He took part in every June 4th commemoration event until he became president. Uh, I, I I think he has a true heart for for the idea of freedom, democracy. Uh, for, but then the com- the kmt at later on the majority of them felt uh to preserve their position they have to ally with beijing for e- economy reason i guess for whatever reason that was a very very for for lack of better word stupid <laughs> decision yeah okay you know, you're
1: you've made a couple of runs for the Legislative UN in just your one, time. Just just one. just just one run, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 a, yes, yes. Do you think that your stature as a a prominent dissident has helped you in in your political life in Taiwan, or has it hurt you more?
2: Uh, both. Well, first of all, if I wasn't a prominent Chinese dissident, no pro- one would know. They who probably you are, would. Right? Yeah, no one would know me, <laughs> and they probably wouldn't come to consult me about my uh, opinions and then that eventually made me one of the opinion leaders in taiwan one of the one of the most celebrated <laughs> let bragging here celebrated political commentator um uh, but i think uh i became political commentator in taiwan because i also address on issues in taiwan i was welcomed uh, as one of one of them uh but today uh some people in Taiwan have this uh, sentiment to think uh, that Taiwan's future is also uh, rely on uh, a good cross-strait relation. So uh, uh, provoking Beijing is not in Taiwan's in best interest. So uh, from this perspective, my uh, Chinese dissident uh, status is becoming a, a little... Problematic.
0: <laughs> I'm going to bring you back to the uh, Uyghur question. Um, Please do. Yeah, w- we know that something horrific is happening. Uh, it's not no. It's not a news anymore. Yeah. Do you have any uh, thoughts on what to be done about um, the current situation, the Uyghur horror? I mean, the something
1: world- less, maybe uh, far away than
2: d- bring democracy to China, like well, in Washington and Western capitals, India. maybe well, even Taipei in Taipei. Yeah. yeah. The uh, uh, being 30 years of a dissident that I, there's one lesson I can honestly report to all of uh, our listeners here is that pressure works, outside pressure works. It has always worked. And, but then it's becoming more and more difficult to apply that pressure because China is becoming much more stronger than, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. But still, there are pressure points that of this regime, that you, you should press right, and we have been lobbying, of course, uh, 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 to apply the Magnitsky Human Rights Accountability Act to Chinese officials. I met with some uh, State Department officials today, and then I, uh, you know, I, they they were talking about which level it should be applied to, and I said Xi Jinping. That's what I said, and then they were like, "Oh no, no, you are kidding. That's the that's the problem of the Western." You know, diplomats, they feel like everything has to come in a diplomatic way. And from this uh, dissidents or student leaders' perspective, the things come, should come in honest way.
1: Well, you think that applying it to Chen would, would be a good start?
2: It's, it will be a good start, absolutely. But uh, I just want to, you know, we were talking about the, the mentality of Washington, D.C., it's hard for them to come around and say, yeah, we made a we made a such a big mistake and we feel so embarrassed and we should we should make right of our of our mistakes. Um come around. It we have landed here. You know, come around and realize that you made a bad, bad mistake. Uh uh, uh and uh this mistake is coming around to get you. Uh, well uh, it, it's we are on the way, and then we we got sacrificed in the. We, I mean, the Chinese dissident Uyghurs, but it's not that far from the rest of the world. So uh, uh, I, that will be my. I, I feel like, like I was a student leader thirty years ago, and come around the lecturing the world. To be honest, is something <laughs> is something rather strange, but very much needed. But Nuri, that's not what you think. I, I mean we, we were having a
1: conversation over lunch today and you, you don't think that kind of come around make you know just just sort of declare your opposition to engagement declare you know China a pariah state you don't think that that would work to help the, the Uyghur situation
0: you know my approach has been more of an encouragement than um, criticizing or making a statement that's not enough because we're still in the process of building coalition which tr- is still in the process of Uh, educating general public. One of your um, Twitter followers said that uh, what an ordinary American can do to help. We're in that stage. Uh, So the governments around the world tiptoeing around, concerning about economic interest, uh, you know, taking that kind of... uh, um, outdated uh, approach in their dealing with Beijing or Xi Jinping. It's not the same China that we all know. No, the not. Xi Jinping's China is fundamentally different. Their thinking is different. Their approach is different. Their ambition is different. So we have to look at it differently. So instead of uh, pressuring them, I've been trying to work with them, providing them some solutions. For example, pass the, pass the legislation that has been considered. That would be a really good step. And also... Um, if it's too much, too difficult to take on Xi Jinping or China, they should consider special immigration bills to uh, to help the Uyghur refugees, students to settle down, like the way that the Swedish government after did after eighty nine. Yes, they did that. In yeah, the there is a States, precedent right. um, that the United States Congress has done this before, and 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 also, you know, they they have to speed up the process of going Magnitsky. We have seen it in 2016. Putin was so nervous, so upset that there's a law even in that nature exists. I think it's the same. Same is true with the uh, Chinese leadership. They well, I think wanted that to continue. To, and the oligarchs directly around him are yes, more personally threatened. same thing in China. The, well, the, the Xi Jinping wants to send uh, Xi Jinping supporters, uh, wealthy people or influential people, still wanted to send their children to Western capitals for shopping, education, and this 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 kind of uh, legal tools is extremely important. So there's there's small steps that they can take uh, in while considering or, and also the Olympics is also a very good uh, way to start this. Um, I know that 2022 is the way to go. I be two more years to go, but the uh, o- International Olympic Committee uh, should use its influence at least pressure the Chinese government to shut down these camps mm. if they still wanted to host the 2022 uh, Olympics. There, there's several things you know that they can do um, that are going after the companies have been very effective. Uh, the Thermo Fisher, for example, was providing DNA uh, sequencers to the Chinese government. Under the uh, uh, leadership of Rubio and others, the company stopped selling uh, products to Xinjiang Authority. Mm-hmm. But we don't know if it's going through other means to get there. But th- there have been some positive steps have been taken. So my approach has been a little bit… Um, I think we're the same. Yeah. I think we're the same, really.
2: I, think, well, I don't think we're that different, when, but I just want to, when you say we're in the stage to, uh, to educate Americans, uh, but I think uh, the approach should always be value-centric instead of uh, interest-centric. Yeah.
1: All very good. Uh, Gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure to talk to both of you. Uh, Nuri, always great to have you back. And I look forward to hanging out with you in in, in Taipei. I go there a lot. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be a little
0: fun. Thank you so much,
1: Kaiser. I I, I must
0: say this, uh, that um, the subchina.com Seneca podcast has been uh, extremely helpful in educating, reaching out to uh, uh, China-related business communities, um, expats, even Chinese people, at the end of the day, they need to know what's happened to us. Uh, so this has been extremely... And also they started this when with, when the issue was not that popular. Not everybody talks about it, but sub, subchina.com started... Well, there's uh, still a
1: lot of people who, yeah. who criticize me uh, and think that I, I don't care somehow, and it's, it's that's, bizarre. To that's me. an
0: unfair criticism.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. Thank you. I look thank forward you. to talking to you again soon. The Seneca podcast is powered by SUPChina and is a proud part of the Seneca network. Our show is produced by Kaiser Guo, that's me, and Jeremy Goldcorn, with editing help by Jason McRonald. Drop us an email at cineca at supchina.com. Follow us on Twitter or on Facebook at, at SUPChina News. And make sure to check out our other podcasts the Tyson Cineca Business Brief, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China, China Econ Talk, our two shows focused on women, New Voices and Top for Top and the Middle Earth podcast on the culture industry in China. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.